it is just the most unpredictable year I have ever imagined, but we're really looking at it more unpredictable week to week. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, January 9th. Today, I'm joined by Abby Livingston to talk about something we haven't seen in Washington in a very long time, if ever. Republicans now only have a single seat majority in the House, with Majority Leader Steve Scalise taking a leave of absence with a health issue. And this narrow majority will make Speaker Mike Johnson's job a lot harder with a partial government shutdown on the horizon. Abby has the latest on that and which party is favored to win the House this November. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Welcome, everybody, to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Abby Livingston to talk about Capitol Hill and the looming government shutdown that is complicated by House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who announced over the weekend that he's going to be away from Washington until February uh, so he can receive a stem cell transplant uh, as part of his treatment for blood cancer. This lowers the Republican majority, Abby, in the House to what? Just one vote? I know this is an always sort of mutating number uh, because of absences and, and health issues in Congress, but uh, it sounds like Republicans only have a narrow, narrow, narrow majority uh, with a government shutdown looming. Absolutely. So if everything happens the way we expect it to happen, Republicans will have a majority of one by the end of the month. This will not be, last forever, but this means not just, I mean, I think avoiding a government shutdown may be one of the easier problems Congress has to face. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's uh, you know, there's Ukraine funding and there is just absolutely so much pressure on the whip count in this situation. And I, as I've written, whipping a vote is hard enough, but it's extraordinary when you have a one vote margin and anything from a COVID positive test to a traffic jam could upend votes. So like, I, I, you know, I've never seen anything like this before, but it wouldn't surprise me if we have many instances where members go to the floor to vote and then suddenly the vote is held long or they have to find some sort of contingency because the right number's not there. But this is a pretty serious situation and it makes a brand new speaker who has never had to count votes like this before his job really, really hard over the next few months. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Mike Johnson feels like compared to the tumult of Kevin McCarthy's tenure that so far, like, at least from his caucus, he's mostly, you know, been blessed to move forward by his caucus without too much uproar, without too much testing. You know, he led that delegation to Eagle Pass, Texas last week, and it seemed like the Republican caucus is sort of unified behind him and the messaging around the broken border and immigration and all that. But you're right, he hasn't really been tested here. Now, as someone who covers Congress and Capitol Hill, and I, I haven't done it day to day ever like you have, if you're whipping votes for anything, you know, typically you have to like, say, you know, hey, Joe, like, uh, I need you to hang around. Uh, You know, I know it's your uh, wife's birthday (laughs) down in Raleigh this week, but I need you to stay in Washington. Does that ramp up even more here when there's like just a constantly shifting majority of one or two or three? 
Absolutely. I, I mean, members of Congress miss votes all the time. You know, I've seen them miss because, you know, someone will privately say it was their kids' National Honor Society thing the night before. So there is absolutely no excuse to miss votes if you are a House Republican. Mm-hmm. And so I think it puts an incredible amount of pressure on this. There is one just counting the votes and getting the numbers, but there's also just believing that your members are going to go to the floor and follow through with what they tell you they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So it is just the most unpredictable year I have ever imagined, but we're really looking at it more unpredictable week to week. I want to talk more about 2024 and the, you know, the, this narrow majority and how that plays out during campaign season. But I did mention a looming government shutdown for people who aren't following the ins and outs of this stuff every single day. What is this shutdown theoretically? So uh, Congress tends to pass or attempts to pass a one-year spending bill every. September, and that obviously did not happen. They passed a short term bill that led to the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. So, this is basically um, a means to extend the funding for the rest of the year and not deal with a shutdown threat again. This is the issue that brought Kevin McCarthy down. I do think, from your previous point, Mike Johnson has, he is in a little bit of a honeymoon, um, maybe not with the numbers, but with rapport. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen members donate a lot of money to the House Campaign Committee, which is sort of a de facto sign of support for Johnson, just like you mentioned the trip to the border. But this is this is a pretty contentious time. But as difficult as shutdowns have proven for the House Republicans, Ukraine is the thing that many, many, many members of Congress are very worried about right now. And I, I assume that means what you're saying, House Republicans are pretty divided on that issue. Um, the problem for House Republican leadership on Ukraine is what we have called the Hastert rule is you don't want to bring things to the floor that's not a majority of the majority. I, there may be a majority of the majority that supports Ukraine funding, but it is just a, a very contentious issue. The people who are against it are very, very much against funding Ukraine. So um, I think it could actually pass the House if it went straight to the floor pretty easily if you throw in the Democratic votes, but you just can't move things that Republicans that don't get almost unanimous support among Republicans. Abby, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about what campaign season looks like for members of Congress. back to the powers that be, everybody. We are less than a week away from the Iowa caucuses where I assume Donald Trump is going to win. The real race there is for a distant second place. Lots of media attention on that stuff, but obviously control of Congress is up for grabs next year. And Abby, with a one-seat majority as of now uh, in the House, I mean, Democrats have to be salivating over this, right, heading into this year? Well, Democrats are looking very positively about the November elections. I think the general consensus is what it has been since the summer, which is this House could go either direction. But if you had to put your thumb on the scale, I'm guessing you'd probably go with the Democrats. But proof that this is such a jump ball to me is when you look at the retirements that have happened so far in the House, and we've seen a lot. But there haven't been very many vulnerable members retire on either side. Mm. And that is usually the first warning sign that a party believes it is losing and that its incumbents believe they're losing. So my current read of the landscape is 
most parties and incumbents feel pretty good about their reelection chances. So this is going to be a district by district fight across the country on the House side and and within a handful of seats on the Senate side. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, one, I would think that there's fewer and fewer swing districts. So, you know, therefore you would have less maybe retirements um, when people sort of look around the corner. But at the same time, and this this flows from my conversations with like the Trump campaign and the Biden White House, uh, the presidential election is going to be a jump ball in both of their minds. And, you know, turnout models have shifted in the Trump era, like presidential years with Trump on the ballot could be good for down ballot turnout for Republicans. Um, and, and so all of that uncertainty uh, combined with sort of the, the partisan nature of the maps, if you're thinking about retiring, you look around the corner, there's no easy way to to say like, oh shit, this is going to be a bloodbath for our party. I'm going to resign. Is that the sort of sense you're getting? Correct. And if you're going to talk to the average Democratic operative who's been around the block a few times, this is what they're going to tell you. They feel good about their candidates. They feel good about their challengers. Abortion continues to be this this issue that performs for them in ways that sort of go beyond their own best hopes. At the same time, in 2016 and 2020, races down ballot did not go the way they expected them to. And it was Donald Trump at the top of the ballot. Sometimes that that helped Democrats, sometimes that didn't. And so that's sort of the, the reason. And I think Republicans would argue the same thing, but in the inverse. And so I, that is, I think part of it is Donald Trump makes this so incredibly unpredictable when he is physically on the ballot. It's much more easier to predict things when he's not on the ballot, like a midterm election. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Abby, thank you so much for the update. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck, We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.